They have no governance over their life. Uh, They'll be made naked. They'll live an unprotected life. So to God, vision is extremely important for you and I. Now, the the real precept of vision is is all the way through Scripture that God teaches people that you have to be able to see it in here before you're going to see it out here. And that's what real vision is. You've got to be able to see it in here. And uh, I'm not going to turn to it today, but if you look at, if you write this down in Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, it says that when God was talking to Abraham after Lot had parted from him, Lot had pointed his tent towards Sodom uh, because of the valley that was there. He saw it as a fertile valley. So he pointed his tent in the direction of Sodom. And he said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, I want you to look to the north. I want you to look to the south. I want you to look to the east, and I want you to look to the west. And this is what God said to him. He said, as far as you can see, it will be yours. Now, I want you to realize in our lives that that God is still saying that to you and I. You only go as far as you can see. If you can't see it happening, it's not going to happen. And so it's not going to be just by chance, by accident. You have to have an intentionality of your life that you see. A lot of the limitation in our life is not the devil, it's us. It's us. And a lot of the limitation is not your family, it's us. And a lot of the limitation isn't who you're married to, it's you. And that's a lot harder, isn't it? Because we have to take responsibility that, you mean I'm a limiting factor in my life? Absolutely you are. We all are. We all limit ourselves. Because what happens is, is that we face something in our life and we begin to tell ourselves why we can't do it. You know, the word trigger has become a big word today, especially in psychology, and they talk about how that things happen in people's lives, and it triggers back stories in their life, events in their life, that they relate to what's happening right now. And so that's why you hear people say, this always happens to me. Uh, It seems like God's mad at me. I keep going through the same things over and over again. Uh, Look, the truth is, is that those triggers in your life, those things that are triggering in your life, these events in your past and are trying to bring them back to your future, they don't have to be that way because God gives us a new vision. God gives us a new plan. God says, look, I'm going to give you... In fact, it's interesting, this word vision that's here in some of your translations of the Bible, it says that God will give you a revelation. It says, without a revelation, people perish. So see, what God wants to do is He wants to unfold or unveil what's out there in front of you so that you can see and move forward clearly. Florence Chadwick, she was a great swimmer uh, many years ago, and no one would, had ever been able to swim across the English Channel. And she was, uh, she was just determined that she was going to swim across the English Channel. And it's a very cold water there, uh, and to, to get across it, it takes quite a while. To, you know, it's, it's a many hours and hours of swimming. So she trained, and she prepared, and she got all ready. And when she got to the moment when it was time for her to swim across the channel, they had a boat in the water to encourage her and to help her get through, you know, in case some accident happened uh, and uh, they needed to help her. And so she begins to swim. But the problem that happened on the day that she was doing this is a fog had set in over the, over the channel. And that, you know, in England, fog's a big part of what <laughs> their weather patterns there. And so this fog sets in over the channel And so when Florence is swimming, she knows that she wants to get to this destination, but while she's swimming, all she sees is fog. And she keeps swimming and swimming and swimming, and hours and hours go by. And listen, when you're swimming in the fog, it can seem like it's an eternity. It can seem like it's an eternity. 
And uh, you've probably had that happen here in Michigan whenever you're driving in the fog. It just seems like it, you, you can't see any further down the road than just a few feet in front of you, and it just seems like it takes forever to get where you want to go. Well, she started swimming, and she got, she got out there, and man, she was swimming as hard as she could, and she was just determined she was going to do it. But that fog was so heavy that she could see the boat, and that's all she could see. And she, they kept encouraging her, Florence, you can make it, you can get to the other side. And, but she got out there, and then finally she just looked at the guys in the boat, and she says, I'm done. I can't go on. When she quit, she was 200 yards from the shore. 200 yards. She gave up 200 yards from the shore. And you know, there's such a valuable spiritual lesson in that for you and I. Because what the enemy tries to do in our life is create so much fog and smoke that we think that we're never going to get to where God wants us to be in our life. There's so many things that are going around, uh, on around us. You know, the financial stuff, the family stuff, the, the personal issues that we deal with internally, all that stuff. And what God is saying is that I have a vision for you to do this. And without that vision, you're going to perish. Because see, your vision, the vision that you have is your hope. That's where you want to get to in your life. That's where you want to see things get to. But what can happen is, is that so much fog can set in before your hope that you won't even apply your faith to get there. You just give up, not even knowing that you're just a few hundred yards from the shore. Well, the next time that she went out, you know, of course, you learn your lesson, don't you? She decided that when she went swimming the next time, nothing's stopping me this time. Well, I hope that's true for you too, friend. I hope that you're in a place in your life where, look, the fog is there. I, can barely, I can't see where I'm going, but I know this. There is a hand that is guiding me, a God that is provided for me, and I'm going to get to the destination that's out there that God wants me to be. Can you say amen? But the, the enemy will work overtime because he knows if he takes that vision from you, you're going to perish. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it. And so we see this happen in our lives. You know, so often we start doing something, we get, in, we get a vision, you know, maybe it's our health, or we get a vision about, you know, financially what we're going to do, or a vision that we're going to, you know, of what our marriage is going to be like. And, and, and so we, we start making plans and we start preparing, and here comes the fog, right? All of a sudden it starts setting in, and the fog is saying, ah, you know what, you can't get to that, you can't make that. You've got to get through the fog first. But the, listen, the, the, the truth is, the destination is there. That's the thing that should give us hope, is even though we can't see it, it's still there. It's still there for us. If God said it could happen in our lives, it can happen in our lives. Why should we allow the fog to limit? You know, Israel was big at limiting God. In fact, it says in the Scripture, that in, in the Psalm, that they limited the Holy One of Israel. And the only reason they limited God, it wasn't because they didn't love God. It wasn't because they didn't believe in God. It was because the fog spoke louder to them than the words of God. Because what happens? They get out in the, you know, they get out in the wilderness. What, what did they get upset about? No water, no water. That's the fog. No water, no water. So God says, okay, I'll give you some water. No food, no food, no food. There's the fog again. And God says, okay, I'll give you food. Yeah. Now we, now we hey, we're tired of bread. Come on. We need some, see, that's all fog. That's all smoke. That's all junk. That's all stuff that has nothing to do with anything. But don't you know that the devil works overtime to get you to care about stuff that doesn't matter? 
these guys, Jesus was talking to these guys, and you know, they're the, the disciples, and he, they're like, he's like, guys, I want you to just look out. I want you to look at all those lilies. Uh, see how beautifully arrayed they are? Oh, aren't they wonderful? He says, guys, I want you to know that God can take care of you like He takes care of all of that there. The beauty that they're adorned in, God can beautify your life that way. He said, why take thought for today? Why worry about today? Why be all upset about today? Why let the fog determine how your day's going to go? Can I get a good amen? You know, I know this, is, I know, I, and I'll move on here, but there's a, one of my favorite passages in Ecclesiastes says that if you observe the wind and you observe the weather, you will not plant, therefore you will not reap. I'm, 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 basic, I'm, I'm sort of uh, general, I'm paraphrasing it, but look, if, if everything in your life is based off the weather report, you won't do anything. You won't, you won't do, I mean... If, if you're going to say, oh, well, you know, it looks like it's going to rain today, there's a 50% chance. Well, doesn't that mean there's a 50% chance it's not going to rain? Uh, well, you know, Pastor, I don't know if we should have that. We should do Super Summer Sundays. They said there's a 30% chance of rain. Well, you know what? Then we'll, it's like the one guy, you know, this, <laughs> I love this story. This guy, this guy, he was a chicken farmer. And uh, he had all he had about he had about a, a, a hundred chickens, and so he's got all these chickens. And well, his house sets in this valley, and and the, it kept raining, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and finally, all of a sudden, all of his chickens they just drowned. He couldn't save them, so he went into his wife. He's all discouraged. He's like, "Yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do. The chickens are all dead. The the water's gotten them." And she said, "I have the answer. Buy ducks." Thank God we have people around us that can see something better than we can see, amen? We're like, no, no, we can't do it. I remember when one Sunday, some of you guys will remember this, in this sanctuary, Chuck calls me at 6 a.m. in the morning, Pastor, the sanctuary's flooded. I'm thinking, glory. He said, no, wait, there's water. I'm standing right here at the front at the altar, and the water is ankle deep. It's not good. A water pipe burst in the wall in the wintertime. Some of you remember this. And man, I'm just like, oh my gosh. We're we're in trouble. I don't know what we're going to... Chuck says, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I don't know. Let me... I don't know. (laughs) Let me think about it for a minute. We got a little bit of time. So, you know, I'm like Moses. You know, Moses, whenever he was faced with the Red Sea, all the people were like, what are we going to do? 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 Moses says, well, just give me a minute. So he goes away. Then he comes back and he's like, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then God says, okay, well, hold up your stick and tell the waters to part. And he comes out and says, I have heard from God. I have the answer. We're all ready to go. So I go out. I go to Sharon. I said, Sharon, I don't know what we're going to do. It's horrible. The, the sanctuary's flooded and we're, we're, we're in so much trouble. And, you know, we, we're not going to be able to have church this morning. And Sharon looks at me and she goes, well, the answer's simple. She says, we own another building up in town, just have church there. I said, oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) Now, I know she's not God, even though sometimes she thinks she's God. Uh, But so, so so, 
So, you know, it's a, I don't know who all played that morning, but Chuck had to stay here because the, the guys were coming. And so we, we got like six different guitar players and went down and we played guitars and sang. And we had one of the largest crowds. I mean, it was amazing. Larry and Jim stood out in the parking lot and said, look, glad you're here. Just drive a little further down the road. We're right up there and uh, pull in the lot there. We got all the chairs out, filled that building up, had one of the largest offerings we've ever had and raised $1,000 for our deductible that morning. Thank God there are people around us that can see something better than what we can see. That's why we need each other. We have to have encouragement around us of people that say, look, we're going to get through this. We're going to make this. We're going to overcome this. Don't give up. So don't despise when people are trying to encourage you and trying to help you. That's just because they see something better for your life and what's going on in your life right now than you see. Did you find Acts chapter 2 yet? <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 17. This comes out of the midst of a, a, a word that was given by Peter to the people talking about what was happening with the Holy Spirit outpouring. And in verse 17, it says, it'll come to pass in the last days, says God. So look at me real quick. This, because of this verse right here, we have to believe we're in the last days. We're in the last days. Because it says that, and it'll come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. He says, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire, and vapor of smoke. And then, of course, he goes on and talks about different aspects of it. The reason I wanted to look at this, have you to look at this, is because this is God's vision for the last days for His church. That His church is full of people that are active and playing a part in the role of what He wants to accomplish in the earth. That it's not just a few people. It says our sons and our daughters, they shall prophesy. It says that they shall have visions. We will have dreams. And dream, look, dreams, that, sometimes people want to minimize that and say, well, you know, dreams means that, you know, because you're older, you, you just have a dream like it's never going to happen. Look, it's a dream that comes from God because it's going to happen. So it doesn't matter whether it comes in a vision or it comes in a dream, it's still from God. Amen. And so that means that God has his hand in that happening. So I don't care how you had it as a dream or a vision. You say, because young people have dreams too. Amen. Not all of them are Holy Ghost dreams. Sometimes they're pizza. But, but, but you know, they, they, and the same with older people. Sometimes we have dreams where we're like, man, that was a weird, strange deal. I mean, but, uh, you know, we, we, but, but what we need to understand is, is that God's saying, look, I'm going to speak to my people, and they're going to begin to declare, because prophecy means to declare what God has said. They're going to declare what God has said. Now, this is really powerful. We won't turn to it this morning. But it says here in the Scriptures that the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord in the last days. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Then it goes on and says the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. So I think there is an order here that happens. As the people of God begin to release the Word of God, the Word of God releases the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God releases the glory of God. You know, we want more glory. 
then we need to release more knowledge. And if we want more knowledge, then we need to start saying what God said. Look at your neighbor, say their name, and say he's talking to you. Yeah. Yeah. See, God has a vision. God has a vision. Um, I was doing a little bit of calculating going through this. We did this at our 40-year uh, church anniversary. 50-year, 40-year, 40-year, yeah. But in the 25 years that Sharon and I have had the, the great opportunity to be your pastors, we have, we have seen raised up through our ministry here 12 ministers. Five of those are pastors today. Five of those are pastors. Eight of them are youth pastors. Five are children's pastors. Three are missionaries. That's 27 different ministries that have come through this church in the last 25 years. Uh, one of those is coming home, actually, here soon. Is going to connect with what we're doing. Uh, Stephen Karbowski is moving back here, and uh, Stephen's coming back to the church here, and uh, they're, they're coming back to connect, and Stephen wants to get involved, and uh, he and his wife, they've been youth pastors out west, and so they're coming to just do whatever they can here to be a blessing and, and be a help. And, uh, but they won't be here long, he and Elizabeth. And he told me, I'm assuming this is all public knowledge, but they're expecting again too. So, so, so the church just grew by four. But he's young. I have right now, I'm working with, and we haven't released these, all of these guys yet, but we're working with seven different uh, millennials right now that are all going into ministry full-time. They'll be pastors, missionaries, evangelists, apostles, prophets, and we're releasing them to go out. You're helping make that happen through the vision of this church. See, people say, well, what's the vision of our ministry? Well, I'll give it to you in real simple terms. This is all you have to remember about it. It's got three, three legs to it, okay? One, to win the lost. We're big about bringing people to Christ, okay? Two, to develop believers. We're real big on developing God's people. And that doesn't just mean here locally. That means any place we can, developing God's people. Sometimes that means going, you know, I'm taking a group with me. Becky's going and Jeff's going and um, Josh and uh, uh, Michaelin are going and uh, Dakota and Kara are going. We're all going to Columbia. They're going to help there to be able to impart and develop believers in the church there. And so we're excited about that. That's another great thing that's going to be happening in, in August. Um, Stevie's going to, uh, with Chuck and Carrie to Brazil to do ministry there. They're going to be gone for a while to do some ministry there. We're always raising up generational ministry. So that last part, not only are we developing believers, but we are empowering, we are empowering generational ministry. Gener to empower. And this is a, you know, I think when God looks at His church, he, he doesn't want every church to be a Xerox of the other church. I just don't think that's the way. I think God is really unique. Aren't you glad the person sitting next to you doesn't look like you? I mean, they might have similar features, but they don't, you know, they don't, they're not like, they don't look like you. I mean, they, you know, some of us got big noses, big ears. Some of us have no hair. Some of us have a lot of hair. Some of us, you know, we are all different. And that's, I love that because that's how God made us all. Amen? It's an amazing thing that he took two people, Adam and Eve, and from all those people came all the diversity that we have today. It's awesome. Praise the Lord. I think it's great. But here's the thing. I think God in his diversity through Jesus Christ, he had 12, he had 12 apostles that he released. 
They weren't all the same. They were not all the same. He had to, he, all the churches they started, they had, this, they had specific principles they followed. But they didn't do everything the same way. I don't think you just Xerox off churches and say, well, this one's got to look like this one, this one's got to look like this one, this one's got to look like this one. If you're going to do it right, you've got to do all these things for it to be right. I think the key factors of our ministry, all churches should want to win the lost. I think all churches should be really about developing believers. But I think that last one is the real key to understanding what we're about, and that is generational ministry. So to do generational ministry, to empower that, doesn't mean we just talk about it. It means we actually create opportunities for that to happen. Amen. Now, what is generational ministry? Are kids part of a generation? Well, yeah, they are. So we have to create opportunities for kids to be able to minister, to be able to be used by God. Are kids going to screw up? Well, let me ask you this. Are adults going to screw up? We're like, oh, no, don't let the kids do anything because they might mess up. Well, you guys mess up just as much as they do, so that's how you learn. You learn through your mistakes. And actually, the kids take correction better than you do. So... Now, you know, you try to correct somebody. Though. Now, listen, that was a really awesome word you said, but that part of it wasn't the right thing. Well, you hurt my feelings. I'm leaving the church. Well, you tell a kid that, they're not going to go, uh, oh, I'm leaving the church. Well, they'll say, well, I'm telling mom and dad to leave the church. They won't do that either. They'll just say, you know what, pastor, I, I won't do that part again. I'll make sure to correct that. Because they want to learn, because they, they realize I'm in a I'm in a church, I'm in a learning environment, I'm in a development environment, I'm growing, I don't know everything, and I'm, I'm learning along the way. That's just all part of it, amen? We're not trying to be mean and try to be corrective all the time. You know, you guys know me, I'm not like that. But, but I do believe you have to bring correction. Correction's part of what the church does. Amen. I bring correction doctrinally a lot because it needs to be brought. So... I think that's pretty remarkable that 12 ministers and five of them are pastors today. I think that's a pretty remarkable thing. That they came through our children's ministry, they came through our youth ministry, and then they became adults and received the call of God to go serve somewhere. I think that's an amazing, amazing thing. But it all started for most of them, truthfully. For a lot of them, it started back when we were doing the puppet stuff. You know, back with the kids, what was that called? God's hands, right? A lot of them found out that they could be used by God. A lot of them, what happened was when they went from being in the youth group to becoming youth leaders in the youth group. And then all of a sudden, they got a vision for something more. Brian Clark, I don't, Brian doesn't get to come back here much, but Brian and Jen, you know, they grew up through our church. I mean, Brian, he was a, he was a hooligan. You know what that is? He wasn't a good kid. Man, and I mean, he got saved here at the church, and then he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he got, the, he got involved in youth. And Chuck had to correct lots of stuff in his life. But then he ended up, all of a sudden, he got this vision from God about doing youth ministry. And to this day, he still calls this his home church, and, he, uh, and he's out there doing youth. Today, he'll do youth ministry in some church to 13 to 30 kids. Amen. That's why Amazing Grace is here. Now, Here's my thing, and I'll, I'm going to finish up because I told Jeff I would be done early. You know, there's, we can be one of two things. We can be a fan about what's happening in our church, 
or we can be a follower about what's happening in our church. And fans and followers are different. Let me tell you the difference of a fan, what a fan is. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer. That's what it means in the dictionary. You're an enthusiastic admirer. I really, I love, you know, I, I have certain teams. I won't mention what they are because you'll boo me anyways. None of them are in Michigan, okay? So, I mean, I love the Lions, and if they ever get a decent team, you know, I'm, I'm a bandwagon. I'll be right there cheering them on. And, and I don't care about, you know, I love State and Michigan. I don't hate, I'm not a hater. But there are certain teams that I'm a fan of. So guess what a fan does? A fan wears a T-shirt. A fan has a mug with the church name on it, right? <laughs> I'm a fan of this deal here. But see, is a, being a fan enough to change the world? I mean, is a fan that, you know, because look, when it's, what, here's the deal about being a fan. You have nothing invested, right? So, I mean, you got your Michigan shirt on here, but you don't have no investment in Michigan, right? You're not like... I mean, you might be disappointed that your team didn't do what it was supposed to do this last year, but you're not like, I mean, life went on. Amen? I mean, you might have been depressed for a day, but you get over it, right? And you still wear the fan stuff because that's your team, right? But you have no real commitment to them. You're not out there on the field fighting, grueling, suffering, right? I mean, you know, when, when they lose a big game, you're not coming back and running sprints with them. You're not like, okay, I'm in this, man. I'm going to, you know, oh, well, Coach D'Antonio, I'm going to be right there at practice on Monday with the team, and I'm going to run the sprints with them because we sucked on Saturday. I know you're mad, and I know we just, we're, you have no investment in that. Game's over, you get mad, talk down about your team, and you move on. The same thing can happen in church. We just become a fan of our church. You know, we could be that same way about being a Christian. Oh, I got a bumper sticker that's got a fish on it. Okay? And, and that means, you know, I'm a honk if you love Jesus. Some people need to take that off their vehicle because the way you drive, I don't know that you want to be claiming that you're a Christian, the way that you carry on on the road. But, you know, we get these things, these symbols that and there are fan symbols right there are fan symbols and this is what i go and this is what i'm a part of and but what does god call us to god calls us to be followers you know when the lord called me to be a christian i mean when i really got to the point where the lord said look it's time for you to make a decision in your life this is what he said luke 9 23 he said if any man will follow me let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. I'm like, well, okay, well, what's, you know, people always say, well, what's my cross? <laughs> I mean, Jesus bore the cross, so what's my cross? What's my cross? Well, your cross could be a lot of stuff. The cross that Jesus bore, obviously, was what you deserve. The pain, the punishment, the suffering that you and I deserve. He bore that for you and I so that we could be free. What's the cross that God called us to carry? Well, let me just put it in a term we'd understand. It's not an easy cross to carry. It's a cross sometimes on Sunday morning you might not want to carry with you. 
It's a cross sometimes when somebody gives you the finger while you're driving down the road that you don't respond and try to drive them off the road or cuss back at them or honk your horn and go nuts. It's a cross that we bear in our life that it's a cross to love whenever we want to hate. It's a cross to keep our mouth shut whenever we want to blab it. It's tough. It's a cross to listen instead of talk. It's a cross that all of us are called to bear. And that's what a follower does. See, if we all are followers, and we're, we, we, I think that if the church became real followers of what it's called to do, specifically of the house, I think that what we would see in the church is more than enough money, more than enough people to do everything that God has called us to do. Because we're not just cherishing what we're a part of. We are in it. And we're in it all in. Completely. As much as we need to. Amen. I had someone one time said to me, and uh, I'll stop, but someone had said to me one time, they, we were talking and, and, uh, about children's ministry. And uh, I love children's ministry. If I wasn't in pastoring, I'm sure I'd be involved somehow. I love kids. You know, I love, I love teaching kids. I love working with kids. I love babies. I love all of them. I, I love to help them. I love to watch them learn. Um, you know, there's frustrations that go with it, obviously. But I love those kids. I want to see them succeed. They, a lot of these kids that come here to our ministry, even though they're part, quite a few of them are adopted. Quite a few of them uh, are coming. Some of them are coming from broken home situations. We've had kids that have come here that have been addicted to drugs because of their parents. We've had all kinds of stuff. These kids need all the love that they can get, all the encouragement, all the spiritual role models that they can get. So I was talking with, um, I was talking with a, a, a group of pastors, and I was telling them, I said, you know, and so we, we really struggle at times to get people involved in children's ministry. And they says, well, tell us what you try to do. And we said, well, we try to schedule people, you know, to only have to be in there a couple of times a month. And he said, they, these pastors, this pastor's group says, that's your problem right there. I says, well, what do you mean? They said, because you're not teaching people to invest in children's ministry. You're teaching people to do a tour of duty in children's ministry. Well, I got an usher today. Well, I'm a greeter today. I'll lighten up on children's ministry. Well, I got to do youth today. Well, I'm singing in the worship team. Well, here's the thing. Is that just a tour of duty, or is that who you are? See, fans just do what's required. Followers are all in. I mean, imagine if you ran into me out on the street, and you, or let's don't use me, let's use Jeff. You run into Jeff at Walmart. You run into Jeff at Walmart, and Jeff's in there, I don't know, you know, he's trying to buy himself, you know, uh, parachutes. And you say, Jeff, oh man, Pastor Jeff, I need prayer. Would you pray for me? And Jeff says, uh, well, Sunday, if you come to church, I'd be glad to pray for you. But right now, I'm just Jeff. I'm doing my thing. We'll do take care of your thing when it's time to get together. Oh, look, Sonia, you're a pastor. Whether you're in church or you're at home, you're a pastor. You're a spiritual leader, 
whether you ever get acknowledged or you don't get acknowledged. It doesn't really matter because you are what you are has to come out of you. Do you understand? What you are has to come out of you. Because it's in you. Rick, you're an usher. That's what God called you to do. It's in you. It comes out of you. You want to serve. You want to be a part. Nobody has to ask you to do stuff. See, when you have to ask people to do stuff, then you're always asking them to do stuff. When people, it's in them, they want to do it all the time. I love Mark and Jeannie Van. They are faithful people because they are elders, whether they're here or not. They pray for so many people that don't go to this church. You know, it would be something to say, no, I'm sorry, if you come to Amazing Grace, then we can pray for you, but you're not part of our deal, so, you know. No, they're followers. So you got to ask yourself the question today. Stand up with me. See, I'm done. It's not even 1130. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Amazing Grace is... We're going to take this to a couple different levels here in this prayer. Amazing Grace is called to win the lost, develop the believer, and to empower generational ministry. You have things that God has called you to do. I don't know what all those things are. It's not up to me or anybody else really to figure out, but there's stuff that's in you that's got to come out of you. Can you say amen? amen. There's just stuff in you that's got to come out of you. Some of you here are supposed to be writing books and you're not writing books. Write the book. Stop messing around. Just start writing the book. You know, I don't even know how, where would I even start? You know, if you wrote a page a day in a year, you'd have a book. It's that easy. But see, what we do is we get all caught up in like, oh, how do I write a book? Oh, you know, will anybody buy my book? See, you're already letting the fog tell you not to go on. Who cares? Amen. Who cares? It's not about that. It's about you being a follower of Christ. There's stuff that we're called to do. You know, the, the, the really cool thing in our lives, and, 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 and I promise my final closing here. You know, vision becomes dynamic in our life, not static. Because there's a lot of factors we do not control that are happening around us. We just don't. We don't control people. And be glad we don't. Because then I'd be trying to control you and you'd be trying to control me and I'd have been done 15 minutes ago and we'd be going till noon. How's that work? No, be glad. We have free will. We get to make a choice, right? So there's a lot of things, though, people make different choices than what we would make in situations. That's why vision is dynamic. So we don't give up on a vision just because it's not coming to pass right now. We have to stay in a place of obedience and willingness before the Lord. You know, if you're willing and you're obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Sometimes we're willing, but we're not obedient. And then other times we're being obedient, but we really weren't willing. We did it, but we didn't really want to do it. You got to do both. And then you get to eat the good of the land. Amen. What is God calling you to do that you're not being willing and obedient about right now? What is it that's happening in our ministry right now that you could be a part of? And you could, you could really contribute, not just financially, but you could contribute your time, talent, and abilities to really help us to go to the next level of success that God called us to do. But are you just a fan, outsider wearing a shirt? Or are you an insider saying, I'm involved and I'll do whatever it takes? I'm not doing tours of duty anymore. 
I'm in this. I'm doing this all the time, and I love it. And I'm grateful for the opportunity. Amen? Thank you, Father. Bow your heads with me, if you would. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your grace. Lord, that your grace is what propels us forward. And I know that grace exists in the hearts of people here today. That grace, Lord God, that gives us the ability to fulfill what your word says to do. Lord, I am humbled today as we, as we embrace these new folks that have become a part of this church. But I'm humbled, Lord God, for those who have been here for 20 years, 10 years, 5 years, 30 years, 40 years. I'm humbled, Lord God, because they have embraced this ministry not as a fan, but as a follower. And I thank you, God, for supernatural blessing and empowerment upon all of us that we would all reach for the impossible as a church. Lord, that we would stay not in some type of a static atmosphere thinking that it's always going to be this way, it's always going to be the same today, tomorrow, it's always going to be the same, but we would realize, Lord, that we're in a dynamic ministry, Lord God. The Lord, something that we're doing today, you may call us to do something in a different aspect tomorrow. That there may be more clarity tomorrow for us about what the direction that we're heading as a ministry. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that, that Lord God, that there is still mystery in your kingdom. There's so much mystery. I thank you, Lord God, that there's so much wonder for us yet to experience. God, that when we, we stand back and think we've seen it all, God, we haven't seen anything. We think we make stupid statements like I've been there and have the t-shirt. And, and Lord, we, don't, we haven't been anywhere and we don't have any t-shirt that means anything. Because there's so much more to you than what we can even fathom, Lord God. I think about Job, Lord God, how that he tried to talk like he had you all figured out. And how you came in and said, son, you don't have anything figured out. God, may we just fall in love with all of that mystery of who you are. All of that beauty that you want to reveal. Lord, that we would be like David, God, that said, there's only one thing I desire in my life, and that is to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His divine presence. I thank You for that, God. May each of us strive to be followers. We thank You for what we've done, but we're not done. We thank You for where we've been, but we're not where we're going yet completely. So God, as we move forward as a church and a ministry, I thank You that we'll have all the resources, we'll have all of the people that we need, all the finances that we need. And Father, I declare this over your people for those in their life, the vision, the dream, the thing that you've put in their heart, whether they're a young son or daughter or they're an older individual, Lord God, that they will have all the resources they need to fulfill that dream. And God, I pray today a tenacity in your people that they will not let the fog take them out a hundred yards from shore. 200 yards from shore. And some of them, they're just five, 25 yards from the shore. And Lord God, they can't see the victory. I thank you, God, that the victory is there. And I just speak and prophesy over them supernatural tenacity that they will not cast away their confidence because it has a great recompense of reward in Jesus' name. And all those agreed said, Amen. 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 Did you get anything out of this today?
Give the Lord a good hand, if you would. Amen.